experiencing here as we turn the page of one year to the to the next you know there there are no magic formulas right for starting over there's no um kind of magic thing to embracing your own willpower or trying to trying to get yourself down to that ideal weight right like everybody's trying to do those things everybody's trying to make stuff happen I think that when you really want change in your life, everybody say change. If you want change in your life, you have to deal with your identity. You have to deal with who you are. Because that's the only way change actually happens. Change only happens deep from within. Starts in here, works its way out. That's how Jesus does it. He starts with coming into a person's heart. They say yes to him. And then he begins to start working deep inside to change who they are. And then it takes, I mean, I don't know about you, but it takes, it took me a while. It continues to take me a process where he's working his will out in my life further out, further out into my actions and into my attitudes. I thought I'd be farther along at my age. But here's the thing I've here's the thing I've I've discovered is that we all have more to go. Amen. We all have we all have a a path that continues on until we meet him face to face in heaven. And if you're here this morning and you've come uh and and you've been a Christian for a long time, I'm telling you I want you to lean in. These 21 days of prayer and fasting are not just something we do ritualistically. This is a season to reach into your, your own life and, and ask God to do something profound in you. It's not just trying to get rid of 2021 or 2020. <laughs> right? Those were two bad years. Can I get an amen? <laughs> those, are, those are some lousy years in my history. But this, that, But that's... But that's not what this is. That's not what Jesus is really interested in. He's not really that hung up on what happened in 20 and 21. What he's really interested in is what's happening in you and me. So you've been a Christian for a long time. I want you to lean in. If you're just here this morning because you came with a friend or, or you're just trying to figure out who Jesus really is, I promise you he's the best thing you've ever experienced. He's the best friend you'll ever have. He's the best thing that will, ever ha- that will ever happen to your life. And if you will just lean into him today, um, I think your life will begin to change. You guys ever had an experience where you're driving along down the highway and then you look up in that rear view mirror and what you see are red and blue lights going on behind you. You guys, has, is there anybody in the room that's never happened to? Really? You just started driving. Um, you know, it's, it's really amazing um, what happens to you 
when, when that occurs. You're, you're driving, the red and blue lights go on behind you, and you freak out like the adrenaline starts running. Does this ever happen to you? And the blood kind of drains from your face. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And then you pull over, and then you're there, and, and, and you're just waiting. You're just waiting, just waiting. And, and you're like, I got to get my insurance, and I got to, oh, just wait, just wait. And then the officer will come up, and he'll ask to see your stuff, so you give him your stuff. And then, and then he says, now, do you know he's, this question? It's the worst question in the world. The worst question in the world for a pastor, <laughs> for a Christian. Do you know why I stopped you today? And what do you say? <laughs> I always, I'm so nervous at that moment where I act, what I actually do is I actually say, yeah, I know I was going too fast. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to. I just shouldn't have done it. I was trying to get to church. <laughs> and then you hope he's going to let you off with a warning. Here's the thing. In my life, that usually happens. That experience happens when I'm in some kind of pace where I'm hurried all the time. Because it's, it's not just speeding. You know, I'm, I'm challenged punctually. <laughs> punctually challenged, that's what my wife calls me. And she's on, she's on time girl, I'm the one who's always late. So, so I, I do have a little issue um, with a little lead foot and whatever, but, but really what, what happens, I, it seems like to me that I never get stopped by a police officer unless my life is kind of careening out of control. And I'm, and, and, and I'm always behind, and there's stuff that I just feel like I'm juggling so much, and so I'm just, my pace starts to bump up, and it just, the, the pace just starts to go faster and faster until I finally see those lights in my rearview mirror, and then I have a $200 ticket to pay. Such a bummer. I think there's more costly things than that that happen to us when our pace is wrong. When we're rushing around, we've all got our own story of how it affects us. And, and it is true, we're all trying to stay sane in the age of internet and iPhones. Uh, we've got 24-hour news cycles and a full Netflix queue, right? You, you've got to get to, you've got a million streaming options, you've got enough to overwhelm a fragile psyche, let alone somebody who's totally into it. But your average person is wrestling with the noise that's going on in their lives, that's going on at work, that's going on in their personal lives. You just feel like your life is moving at a frenetic pace. I think it's our culture. It's our culture, even as we grapple with a, what I've been calling a pandemic hangover. Over the last couple of years, the wear and tear is showing. The, and, and I feel like it's, it's something like the scheduling muscles that we used to have, like the things that we used, used to do normally, we can't do very well anymore. So when we try to get back into that pace, we all feel like our muscles are atrophied and, and we're all like stressed out at the littlest things. 
stressed out and pressured. After the last 18 months, the littlest things kind of set us off. Anxiety and fear continues to sort of lead our news channels and our news cycles, and it, it feels like we're all sort of trying to discover, trying to struggle to get to that elusive new normal. It's, it's elusive because there is no such thing. I think most of us probably feel like we're caught in a pace of life that is not sustainable, or worse, it's ruining something inside of you. And that's why we're launching this series called Unhurried, Slowing Down and Finding Life. Unhurried, Slowing Down and Finding Life. Now, this comes from a pastor, a really brilliant author named John Ortberg, and he records a, a conversation that he had with an amazing theologian. His name was Dallas Willard. If you know about Dallas Willard, he's written some incredible books. I highly, highly recommend him. Read some books from Dallas Willard. But he said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now I just want you to look at those words I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the pace that you're on. I want you to think about whether or not Jesus is in charge of your pace. And we're gonna try to slow down in the next 21 days a little bit. It's one of the reasons we didn't do a 6.30 a.m. prayer meeting in person the first week. Because I, what I want you to do is I want you to take responsibility for your prayer time. I want you to take responsibility for being with God, being with Jesus, inviting the Holy Spirit in for intentional, specific time. And we'll give you a reminder every day at 6.30. We'll push you in the right direction. We'll, we'll, we'll remind you of what's really important. Each day has a theme there's a daily prayer focus, and I want, I want us all to pray together on those themes. There's power when people get together and pray together on specific subjects, and we're gonna do that. But I don't want you to stress out. I don't want you to, I, I feel like when we get into a new year and we're like, yes, we're gonna kill it in the new year. It's like the total wrong approach. Did you know that most gyms bring in new exercise equipment at the first of the year? Why, because the crowds are coming. First of the year, extra exercise equipment. So they bring some extra in, by February one, they can move them all out again. <laughs> Why is that? Because people are trying to, they're trying to do something that's not authentic to who they are. And there's an, uh, uh, an identity that must be discovered about who you are, and that's the journey I want us to go on over these 21 days. So the first week, first week we're gonna do week one, it's gonna be the premise, the idea is in my life. I'm going to connect with God, and I'm gonna connect with him intentionally every day at 6.30. We're gonna do it on IG, and we're gonna, I wanna recommend the read, daily Bible reading. 
you can choose any Bible reading you want, but this year we're going to especially recommend the Bible Project. Um, it's called uh, One Story That Leads to Jesus. One Story That Leads to Jesus. I've sent, you the, uh, I've sent you the link in an email that you didn't read. So go ahead and look that up. <laughs> so I was just kidding. Sorry, we got too serious there, didn't we? So, it's a resend, okay. So, um, and then the second week, everybody say second week, in our church. So, that's where we're going to go in our second week. We're going to have 6.30 a.m. prayer during the second week. And we're going to end that week with a worship night on Friday night uh, right here in this room. So, I, I, I want you to lean into that. I want, you to, I want you to make a new habit here at 6.30 a.m. over these next two weeks. And then week three, everybody say week three. Week three in our homes. This is something new we're gonna do to try to get us into what I think is uh, more of a small group mindset. It's been one of the things that I think has been taken from us over the last couple years is uh, the, the, the lack of comfort we have felt together uh, in people's homes, but I, I think community is one of the most important things in our faith. It is the way we practice our faith. It is the way we practice what we believe in community, and in, we encourage one another, and we lift one another up, we pray for each other, and we challenge each other. That's what we're gonna try to do that week, and we're gonna have prayer meetings in homes near you, somewhere near you instead of here at the church. Because it's gotta be a lifestyle, it's gotta be authentic to who we are, and we've, we've got some work to do as a church to rediscover who God has asked us to be, who he wants us to be, and who he's designated us to be in this city and in this region. So if you wanna check out all the prayer resources, you can go to onechapel.com, slash prayer. What is it? Okay, you can go check that out. There's a, and I really encourage it. I'm gonna do some fasting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go without some food uh, over these le three weeks, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some things that are intentional, and I want you to do that with me, and there's fasting resources there. There's all kinds of stuff there, and over this series that we're gonna do over the next several weeks, we're going to borrow pretty heavily from um, a really awesome book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And uh, we'll be gleaning his insights from scripture and sharing in that journey together. Here's a quote from him that'll kind of push us into what we're gonna talk about today. He says, read your Bible. Satan doesn't show up as a demon with a pitchfork and a gravelly smoker voice <laughs> or as Will Ferrell in an with an eclectic electric guitar, sorry, and fire on Saturday Night Live, he's far more intelligent than we give him credit for. Today, we're, you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible, or a multi-day Netflix binge, or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram, or a Saturday morning at the office, or another soccer game on a Sunday, or a commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed. The threats to a steady, intentional, unhurried life are everywhere. The great enemy is found 
in work, in family, in ambition, in money, in stress, in possessions, even in ministry. See, you tend to think that hurry is all about bad things. No, actually, there's a bunch of good things you're trying to hurry to get done. Even in ministry, by the way, pastors rank right up there with lawyers and doctors on the busyness studies. And so this is a challenge. I mean, that's other pastors, not, not this one. No, this is, a, this is a challenge for me. This is a challenge for you. And thinking about how we will not let the culture around us shape us. Corey Ten Boom, who authored The Hiding Place, said it this way. She said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. What's the standard answer to the friendly greeting? How you doing? I'm doing great. Just busy. It's more ubiquitous than lame TikTok dances. Busyness literally defines our culture. It often defines the way we feel about ourselves. And we live in a time where our very identity and our status are often determined by how busy we are or how busy we look. The famous psychologist Carl Jung was fond of saying, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. It's a serious problem. Now granted, there's a healthy kind of busyness where your life is full of things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. By that definition, Jesus himself was busy. But the problem isn't when you have a lot to do. It's when you have too much to do and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. That's the kind of busyness that has all of us falling apart at the seams. So how can we prioritize in 2022 and recapture a pace that is not only doable, but actually life-giving, life-changing? I'm convinced Jesus wants to set the pace. Jesus and his pace are what you and I need. And he has a different pace than what's going on around us. He has a different way of helping you and I experience his grace. I want to read the scripture to you, this invitation from Jesus himself in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28 from the NIV. It says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you feel weary? How about burdened? Anybody else feel a sort of bone deep tiredness that sort of fills your life? If so, you're not alone. But Jesus uses some strange language here, doesn't he? He says, I'll give you what? Rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. I think that sounds so appealing to us, but we don't really know what it means. I think he shares this idea of a gentle. He's, he's like, I have a gentle and humble way of working. 
I think this is so interesting. We'll talk about this next week. But I think Jesus has a way that he works that he wants us to work. What does that look like? He has a yoke that is easy. That, that doesn't make any sense to any of us because none of us work with yokes. I'm not talking about eggs. I'm talking about a yoke that you put on two oxen and, you, and you're, you're working the, the field and you're turning up the dirt. He has a way of working that it, his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Jesus' words almost don't, don't make sense at first because when you read them, it doesn't, it doesn't occur to you how it works because that's really what we're missing so often is the practices that help us live that way. It's funny, no matter how much we try this new app or that new technology or this breathing exercise, the results are just about always the same, very short-lived. So I want to read it again in the Message Bible. This is the Eugene Peterson translation. And I want you to listen to it. I want you to really let it into you. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. I like this. Burned out on religion. What Jesus was facing in his time was a bunch of religious people that saw status and doing good things as the way to get to heaven. We live in a similar time. He says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How, do, how does he say we can live? Freely and lightly. Do you hear this invitation? It sounds almost too good to be true. He's talking about a spiritual life that determines the rest of your life. Pun intended. Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston Southern University School of Business conducted the Obstacles to Growth Survey. Over 20,000 Christians across the globe and identified busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. Check out his hypothesis, okay? He said, it may be the case that, number one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, number two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, number three, a deteriorating relationship with God. Which leads to, number four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live. Which lead to, number five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again, he says. This new speed of life that we're living in is in no way Christian. It is literally anti-Christ. Think about it. What is the highest value in the ministry of Jesus? What is the highest value? Most people could name it if you said, what was Jesus really about? It was about love, of course. Jesus said the greatest command in all of the scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and with all your soul. He said, 
and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. But here's the problem. Love is terribly time-consuming. I don't know if you've noticed this. Every parent knows this, as do all lovers. <laughs> Almost all long-term friends understand this. Hurry and love are completely incompatible. All of my worst moments as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, uh, as a human being, are when I'm in a hurry, when I'm trying to get stuff done, late for an appointment, trying to do too much, running over people to get it done. I can easily begin to exude anger and tension and irritability and criticism, get a smart mouth attitude. There's nothing worse than a pastor with a smart mouth attitude, which is the antithesis of love. The first definition of love in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Corinth is patient. Love is patient. It's getting really quiet here in this Methodist church. I don't know. Are you guys okay? Are you still awake? Still awake? Are you, are, you, are you with me? Okay, all right. All right. Hurry and love are like oil and water. They don't mix. They simply do not mix. You know, there's a reason people talk about walking with God, not running with God. It's because God is love. We can easily run over people when we move too fast, but the pace of Jesus is unreasonably and absurdly slow by our modern standards. In his book, The Three Mile an Hour God, it's a great title, Three Mile an Hour God, the late Japanese theologian Kosuke Koyama writes, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It is a different speed from the technological speed to which we're accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. Slow in our culture is often a derogatory word if you think about it. If you think about it, how people use it, when somebody has a low IQ, we say they're slow. When uh, the, the service at a restaurant isn't good, we say it, it was too slow. When a movie is boring, we say, yeah, it was really slow. Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of, of slow actually includes some terrible uh, negative uh, definitions, mentally dull, stupid, naturally inert or sluggish, lacking in readiness, promptness, or willingness. The message is clear to us in our culture. Slow is bad, fast is good. John Mark Comer puts it succinctly. He says, but in this upside down kingdom, our value system is turned on its head. You understand what happened there? We have an upside down kingdom. It gets turned upside down. He says, hurry is of the devil, slow is of Jesus. Because Jesus is what love looks like in flesh and blood. The reality is that most of us are running instead of walking with Jesus. We're moving so fast instead of following, everybody say following. Instead of following Jesus, we pass him and run on ahead. Do you ever do this? I think this is so, uh, such a thing. It's like, it's like you're walking and then you're speeding up. You're like, 
on your left, Jesus. <laughs> oh, hey, Jesus, hey, hey, good to see you. I'd really like to get together. Maybe you could catch up with me. We could catch up together, I mean, it's, you know. Walter Adams, who was the spiritual director to C.S. Lewis said, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Now listen, 21 days of prayer is an opportunity to slow down, but I understand that this means we will have to make some hard choices because the rest of the world's running like it's on fire. It will require prioritizing your relationship with God and with your church community. And to be fair, even though they say it takes 21 days to make a habit, it may not immediately fix our addictions to the busyness or the pace of life as we know it. It'll take longer to wean ourselves off of this pace this life of speed that is possibly the greatest threat to a spiritual life. The greatest threat to a spiritual vitality that we face in this modern world. It will take time to reorient our hearts and our souls to slow down and walk with Jesus. It takes time to pray together in a way that changes our perspective of the life we're really after. Could it be that Jesus is saying something to us, one chapel? Could it be that he's saying to our entire generation what he said to Martha in Matthew chapter 11? Luke 10, verse 38 through 42, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. Did you hear me? I said say distracted. Okay, you were distracted. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? I love this. Tell her to help me. Martha Martha, the Lord answered. Whenever Jesus says your name twice, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Mary sits at the feet of Jesus listening to what he says, and I think sometimes Martha gets a bad rap here because the honest truth is things do have to be done, right? Things have to get done. Preparations have to be made. Martha gets so mad, or, or it sounds more jealous to me, like she's jealous of what's happening. Like Mary's getting, to, I'm back here slaving, and she gets to sit here with Jesus. She's mad or jealous about Mary that she complains to Jesus to make her help her. Do you ever do this? Lord, would you make them help me? Make them do what they're supposed to do. Jesus, this is my prayer. Make them do it. This doesn't make any sense. Jesus doesn't make people do things. 
primarily because he wants a relationship with you that's healthy and when you have to make people do things, that sometimes that, that's not a healthy relationship. Even though as a dad of five kids, I've had to engage in threading the needle of training them to do what's right. And the desire that I have that they would own doing what's right for themselves. So I, I, think, I think Jesus is, is here and he's watching this whole thing happen and Martha's in, in, in her kitchen and he's there and he's talking and Mary's listening. Jesus isn't mad at Martha. Let's be clear. He's not mad at her. He's just concerned for her because the problem is not that she had things to do. We all have things to do, right? It's, the, it's that the things she had to do were making her worried and upset. It's that she allowed the things that she had to do to make her so worried and upset in her mind and her emotions. It was taking up too much real estate. Being worried and upset was driving everything in her life. She couldn't keep herself from becoming angry, from blaming, and feeling sorry for herself. And that's what happens to us. We get angry at the people around us. We start blaming other people for what's going on in our lives. And then we start feeling sorry for ourselves. And before you know it, Jesus is saying your name twice. So here's the question of the day. And really, of the series, how do I start slowing down? I'm gonna give you three quick ideas. Number one, I want you to maximize every opportunity. Maximize every opportunity. Here's where I get that. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because why? Why does he say? Because there's so much evil everywhere. Therefore do not be foolish, he says in verse 17, but understand what the Lord's will is just if I could take you through this the culture that the apostle Paul is writing this letter to that's who's writing those words he writes to this culture that was addicted to sexual perversion greed drunkenness lying cheating obscene words and joking and foolish language <laughs> does any of that sound familiar here's our problem if you look at the first of this verse what does he say first what does he say in verse 15 be careful be very careful. Don't be unwise. If we're not careful, we'll get out of control. If we're not wise, we foolishly follow the trends of our culture. If it's, is it any wonder then at the end of the passage, in the little, little verse he says, understand what the Lord's will is. Is it any question that we struggle to really wrap our minds and hearts around the Lord's will? That word opportunity, Make the most of every opportunity in this verse is the Greek word is kairos, not chronos. Chronos is like a specific time of day. Kairos means a season, or what it would be better to say is a window of opportunity. And Martha was distracted by all that had to be done, but Martha had an amazing window of opportunity here. Jesus was in her house. Think about this for a second. Jesus was in Martha's house. 
and she was in the kitchen. Jesus is right here in front of you. Don't find yourself in the kitchen. <laughs> this is what we do all the time. Oh, Jesus, this is great to see you. I gotta, gotta take care of some stuff. Decide to take advantage of the window of opportunity that you have. You can even create your own windows of opportunity. Number two, minimize the distractions. You gotta maximize every opportunity. You gotta minimize every distraction. Hebrews 12, one and two says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Because distractions are everywhere, Dallas Willard is making the argument that we started with. His, his sentence has to do with the problem of our entanglements. Hurry is entangling. Rushing around entangles you. I would dare say that it might be the sin that is the easiest thing for us to enter into in our lives and our culture. You'll have to disentangle yourself if you really wanna do this. You'll have to choose some things that you're gonna disentangle from in order to slow down. The influential Catholic author Ronald Rollheiser has piercing words about our own distractions. He says, today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is, not just to, it, it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth and spirit, we would like these. It's just that we have, are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up in our, on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I love that term, pathological busyness. Most of us live this way as our default setting. The, cr the chronic hurry, we start to assume that this is just normal. I'm just living, but it, listen, it's far more pathological than you can imagine. Band, why don't you guys come up now? It's far more pathological than you realize because if you think about that root word pathogen, it's being released into the air. Virus that kills people, right? Like we're very well acquainted with all of this now. You start to understand why when we hear the, the, somebody say, I'm great, just busy, we start to assume, assume pathological busyness is okay. After all, everybody else does it too. What, but here's the question. What if the busyness isn't healthy? What if it's an airborne contagion wreaking havoc on our collective soul in our culture. Don't confuse, don't confuse activity 
with productivity? What are you producing? Investing in a relationship with Jesus will produce more rest in your soul than you could ever produce on your own. Jesus says there's one thing so profound, so influential that it will last forever. That's what he said about Mary. She's chosen what's better and it can never be taken from her. Martha, on the other hand, was consumed with what needed to be done. Mary, however, was consumed with the one who can get things done. Let me say that again. Martha was consumed with what needed to be done. Mary was consumed with the one who could get things done. God has a way to work that you don't know about yet. That he wants to reveal to you. Finally, number three, prioritize the presence of Jesus. This is why we must prioritize the presence of Jesus. Philippians 3, I'll just read verse 8. It says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul had a revelation of what was at stake. Paul had a revelation of who Christ really was. We want this revelation, but we are so inept so, so much of the time because the life around us is squeezing in on us. Once again, John Mark Comer nails it. He says, the solution to an overbusy life is not more time. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. Look, there are no quick fixes. There are no quick fixes, there are no easy answers. No simplistic solutions. Life is complex, there's no doubt about it. It's going, you're thinking about it as I've been speaking. But if you're weary and if you're tired of life as you know it, if you have a sneaking suspicion somewhere down on the inside of you that there's a better way of life that's more human, that's, that's what Jesus designed, Let's take this journey together over the next few weeks and let's, let's see what Jesus will do with us. I'm gonna take a moment here and I want us to pray. And I just want you to sit where you are and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to just relax yourself for a moment. And we're gonna sing uh, for a few moments and I just want you to, if you wanna sing, fine. If you don't wanna sing, that's okay too because sometimes, sometimes you just need to go somewhere and sit quietly. <laughs> If you need that this morning, this is your moment. And we're gonna sing this and I want you to really allow the Holy Spirit to work on your soul, on your heart. I want you to allow him and invite him in. I like how David said it, it's, it's as easy, or maybe Taylor said it, it's as easy as yes. It's as easy as just saying yes to him and he'll come swooping in. He'll come right in. He will come right where you are, right with whatever you need, with whatever's going on in your life, and he'll bring peace, and he'll bring some structure, and he'll bring some courage, and he'll bring some wisdom. So, Father, we just give ourselves to you today. Lord, we, we confess we don't know how to, we don't know really how to eliminate the hurried nature of our lives, but we ask you to show us we confess that we've 
can easily get swept into the, the life that is too fast and a pace that is moving beyond you rather than following you. So Lord, we ask you to speak to us now. We take a moment to just rest, to rest, to settle, to breathe. We ask you to teach us about the unforced rhythms of grace that you want to give our lives.